I'm Eric Arnold from Oak Culture, and we're here today with Stanley Nelson, the director of The Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution, a new documentary on the revolutionary activists from Oakland, California. Now, Stanley, before doing this film, you made documentaries on Emmett Till, The Freedom Riders, and Freedom Summer. How did the Panthers fit into this historical arc? Well, first I should say that I never intended to have a historical arc. <laughs> the film just kind of fell into place in, in one way or the other. But I think, you know, the, the last film that I made of those three was Freedom Summer. And it ends with the kind of um, uh, disillusionment that happened at the uh, Democratic uh, national convention where the Freedom Democratic Party from Mississippi is kind of has their legs cut out from under them by uh, Lyndon Johnson and other people in the Democratic Party, and so uh, so many people you know in in SNCC and, and others in the movement were really disillusioned by that because it was a feeling that you know as long as we do the right thing if we follow the rules if we do the right thing you know you're going to support us you know you'll you'll understand what we're doing you're going to support us. But they were proven wrong at the Democratic National Convention. And the film ends, one of the last shots in the film is Stokely Carmichael yelling, black power, black power, black power, black power. And uh, one of the first images in, in, in the Panthers film is Stokely Carmichael yelling, black power, black power. You tell them white folk in Mississippi that all the scared niggas are dead. We want black power. We want black power. So there is a continuum there, and the story picks right up. Now, the model of your production company, Firelight Films, is changing the story. In your opinion, what about the Black Panther story needed to be changed? Well, I think that, you know, um, one thing that I, that I felt while I, while I started doing the film was that, you know, I would say, you know, hey, I'm doing a film on the Black Panthers, and people would say to me, um, well, hasn't there been enough done on the Panthers? And I would say, well, what are those things that you're talking about? What are the films? Name them because um, I'm not sure that there have been films done. So I don't think there have been really films done at all, really, on the on the totality or, or the kind of rise and fall of the Panther movement. There have been films about, you know, uh, people in the Panthers. There have been films where the Panthers kind of fit into other films. But, you know, there, there was never really a film that tried to talk about the, the Panther movement. Um, I think that, you know, there's so much to change about the story. I think that one of the things, one of the starting points was that the way the Panthers were felt about at the time they existed in their strength, you know, 1966 to 72 or three or so, is very different from the way, you know, they're thought about 40, 50 years later. So, you know, um, I think at, at, at the time, you know, the Panthers um, had made, you know, coalitions with so many other groups, you know, the women's movement, the student movement, the anti-war movement, and that's all been kind of forgotten, you know, it's almost like, you know, when the Panthers are talked about at all, it's like this kind of isolationist, you know, militant black man, you know, who just wants to kill white people and kill cops and, you know, is out there on an island by themselves, and that's not who the Panthers were, and that's not who, what they were thought about at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Third World student movement, uh, there is a lot of uh, historical connection and uh, solidarity over that. Now, the film's narrative, um, it, it kind of traces the historical arc of the Panthers. We go from the early days in Oakland to the nationalizing of the movement to the leadership schism and the ultimate decline. 
Uh, how would you describe the Panther legacy? Is it just one thing or is it many things? I think the Panther legacy is, is many things, you know. I mean, concretely, you know, it exists in the in the Breakfast for Children program that the Panthers started. There was no government uh, Breakfast for Children program at the time. Now all over the country, you know, it's known that you got to feed kids breakfast. Uh, I think there's, a, a, you know, another legacy in just the attitude of the Panthers. You know, you never saw uh, a black person get up in, in a white person's face and say, no, no, you're wrong. This is what, you know, in that in the way that the Panthers did, that aggressive attitude that is, you know, is so much of who we are today. You know, I, I had never seen that. That was one of the things that, that, you know, startled me and startled so many young people, you know, when the Panthers came out. So there's, there, there, there's that legacy. Um, you know, uh, there's the legacy of, of do-it-yourself, which was part of what the Panthers stood for, you know, is, you know, okay, you know, this isn't being done. You know, we, we, love, we love your help, but without it, we're going to do without it. We'll figure out a way uh, to get things done ourselves. When I first met you and Bobby, they were in the process of forming an organization for uh, primarily self-defense. We didn't plan to have a nationwide organization, anything like that. We were organizing, dealing with the problems in Oakland. One interesting aspect of Vanguard is the role of women in the party. I mean, you prominently feature Kathleen Cleaver, Joan Tarika Lewis, uh, and Elaine Brown. Looking back, how much do you think the lack of gender balance and the, the overt chauvinism uh, was a limiting factor? I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, you have to understand that, you know, the Panthers, you know, in the context of their day. You know, I mean, you're you're dealing in 1966, you know, 1972, when the society was, you know, for the most part, a very chauvinistic society. If you look at the traditional civil rights movement of Martin Luther King, you know, that was a very chauvinistic movement. Uh, even the women were 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 the backbone of the movement. Were behind the scenes. You know, um, they were the catalyst in some ways. They were keeping that engine running. Now, I think it's the same thing uh, with the Panthers. Although I think the Panthers you know, um, professed to put women, women out in front. I mean, they really wanted to do that and tried to do that. It didn't always work, you know, and there were, were, was obviously machismo and, and other problems within the Panthers. But I think, you know, they, they, they did state it as a goal, which was, which was very rare at that time. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting bit where uh, Joan Tarika Lewis is talking about how she joined and she just came up and joined. And she said later she didn't realize that she was the, the first woman. Yeah, I mean, she 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 hears about the Panthers and goes to join. And, and, and I think, you know, she's the first woman and, and it's great to have her in the film as the first woman in the Panther. But, you know, as somebody says in the film, you know, by the early 1970s, the Black Panthers were majority female. Which is something that that you know I didn't know going into it, and I think very very few people, you know, that, that that's who the Panthers were. Yeah, I walked into the office and told them I wanted to join the Black Panther Party, and they kind of <laughs> laughed. I didn't know that there were any other women, you know, in the party at that time. But then I asked them, could I have a gun? Now let's just talk about Oakland for a minute. I mean, it is the birthing ground of the Panthers, and the point is made in the film that this movement was different from the Civil Rights Movement, which was a Southern movement. Could the Black Panthers have started anywhere else but Oakland? 
I yes, I mean I think they could have. I mean I I'm not, I'm not saying that they you know they had to start in Oakland, but they did start in Oakland. So I mean you know that's a hard question because you know could they have started somewhere else? Yeah, maybe, but they didn't. They started here in Oakland. I think that's that's significant. I think that there there were there were certain factors in Oakland that were different from other places. You know the the police in Oakland were brutal and they were known to be brutal. And 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 you know Oakland had this large black population, but without representation really on the police force. You know, and and, and so there's that. You know, you had you know black people who who were who were educated in in Oakland. You know, Panthers came out of college. You know, that's where they started. So so that's in Oakland. And also, you know, Oakland Oakland is a relatively small city compared to a place like you know New York or Chicago, where you might feel like you know our problems are insurmountable. You know, we can't we can't fix this because it's too big. You know, I think that, you know, in in Oakland, you know, you could say, well, wait a minute. You know, we can fix this unless and let's do it. But who knows? The civil rights movement was basically a southern movement. So when you had an organization like the Panthers who were taking on things like housing and welfare and health, that was stuff that people in the north could relate to and rally behind. Our attack was not only against white supremacy, but it was also about capitalism. We actually thought that the way in which capitalism created a working class that was kept absolutely destitute, was that was wrong. So we took the position that in order for us to be free, that system had to be dismantled. We could not be free in a system that had oppressed us in the first place. So you have to get rid of that system. Among the Panther leadership, uh, Bobby Seale and David Hilliard are notably absent from the cast of featured interviewees. Did you reach out to them? Yeah, we we did, and unfortunately, we couldn't reach an agreement with Bobby or or or, or, or with with David. I mean, it was something that, that we we wanted to do, but you know, it just it just couldn't happen. Okay, what about Angela Davis? Angela Davis was not a member of the Black Panther Party for any extended period of time. And so, you know, look, part, part of what we had to do with this film, it's two hours long. It's, this is a long film. It's two hours. But we had to kind of cut the story down. And soon as, you know, you say to me, okay, Angela Davis is not a Black Panther, I'm saying, okay, fine. <laughs> that's one story we don't have to tell. And and actually, frankly, you know, at the same time, we were in in the middle of making this film. You know, this great film came out, uh, Free Angela and All Political Prisoners, which is Angela Davis's story. So our, our feeling was, you know, one, she wasn't a Panther. Two, she has her own film that just came out. You know, this is one 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 less story for us to tell. Yeah, I guess you get you, you have to get them both when they come out on DVD. Um, now, watching the film. It's striking how much the conditions described are still apparent today. Um, why has the 10-point program, for instance, uh, why has that remained relevant? Well, I think because it, <laughs> the, the, the problems addressed in the 10-point program were never, were never rectified, were never solved. I mean, you know, we talk about police brutality. The Panthers started, you know, as a result of the police brutality in, in Oakland. You know, we've had police brutality before the Panthers, after the Panthers, and we have police brutality today. It was never solved. You know, uh, 10 points, you know, the one of them is unemployment. You know, we still have that, you know, uh, today, you know, better schools. Our schools are still just like they were. They're still segregated for the most part. You know, we haven't, we haven't progressed, um, you know, um, like we wanted to. I think the thing to think about is that you know the civil rights movement you know was was successful and, and changed the lives drastically for a limited number of black people 
But for the majority of black people, I, you know, I would I, I think you could make an argument for the majority of black people. It didn't change their lives all that much. You know, they're still living in segregated uh, communities. They're still going to segregated schools. They're still dealing with problems of, of unemployment. They're still dealing with problems of police brutality. They're still dealing with problems of racism, you know, rampant racism in this country. So, you know, um, things things changed on the surface. You know, they're, they're symbols. We can we can look at a black president and we can look at, you know, uh, black heads of different corporations. So, again, you know, it, it changed the fortunes of a few black people drastically. But but for, for the most part, I don't think our lives are that much different. People always talked about freedom and, and what that means during that time period. Being black in America meant that you didn't walk down the street with the same sense of safety and the same sense of privilege as a white person. Now, moving away from Oakland for a minute, um, how important was it for you to go into detail about the police actions against the L.A. Panthers? Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of not understanding the question. Oh, uh, you, you go into the shootout um, in L.A. where the, they had to right. use uh, cigarette butts uh, right. to, uh, to, to shield themselves from the tear gas. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for us, you know, one of the things we wanted to do was, you know, there, there were so many kind. there was some things in, in, in the history of the Panther Party that were repeated over and over again. So so there were raids everywhere. You know, there were raids all over the country. So, you know, we can't talk about 20 raids. I mean, you know, you die of boredom. So how do we take one raid and use that to, to kind of illustrate, you know, uh, what was going on in other places? And we chose to use the raid in L.A. because it was a it was just an amazing event because the Panthers had had uh, fortified the the headquarters with put sandbags around around the, the the walls and they had actually poured dirt in between the outer and inner walls so they had like built this fortress you know uh, for themselves in 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 L.A. and so when the cops come this shootout lasts for five hours which allows the press to get there so there's actual footage of of the shootout. Amazing. And that was the first time that uh, the SWAT teams were deployed, right? Yeah, L.A. had the first SWAT team in the country, and this was the first time that, that the uh, SWAT team had, had delivered what they called a high-risk warrant, basically breaking down the door. And then a few years later, we get the, the SWAT TV series, <laughs> which uh, sparks a number one pop culture, uh, number one billboard hit. I guess, if you tell me. What was that hit? Uh, it was called Theme from SWAT. Oh, okay. I probably I probably would turn it off every time they would say, and here comes the theme from SWAT. I just turned the TV, the, the radio off and never heard it. I mean, it's crazy because I used to watch that show and I didn't realize, hey, I'm being conditioned to accept this sort of paramilitary police force here. Well, how about the, the TV show The FBI, you know, that was on for years on, on Sunday night, you know, um, celebrating, uh, you know, the FBI. Yeah, well, actually, I do want to get into uh, the FBI and COINTELPRO, but before I do that, um, I want to also talk about Fred Hampton, because Fred Hampton is one of the lesser-known Panther leaders, but he's also one of the most charismatic and articulate. Um, so why was it important to include him? Well, I thought that, you know, Fred Hampton it was, was a, is a great story, and it's a story that a lot of people don't know. Fred Hampton was the the Panther leader in, in Illinois, in Chicago. He, he um, assumed the deputy chairmanship of, of that chapter when he was 20 years old. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Fred did that was maybe a little bit different from some of the Panther leaders around the country was that, you know, that, that Fred had come out of the standard civil rights movement. He had been the NAACP youth leader in Chicago. So he had come out of that that movement. And he was really pushing for, for this kind of uh, union of, of different, different groups in Chicago. So he uh, made peace and, and was politicizing uh, uh, Latino street gangs, uh, uh, politicizing a group that became the Young Patriot Party, which were were, were uh, kind of uh, poor poor white people who who had come down from Appalachia, what they called hillbillies. They actually called them hillbillies in Chicago, um, and and he was uh, forging unions uh, and coalitions with with those groups, and um, you know to J Edgar Hoover that was a very dangerous thing. All of a sudden, one day, this black orator who at that time was 20 years old starts talking to these people and all of a sudden it's like a magnet the deputy chairman of the illinois black panther party Fred hampton i just want to tell you that the chairman of the black panther party is going to be ungagged and they're going to have to take those chains off. Him. Bobby Field is going through all types of physical and mental torture. But that's all right, because we said even before this happened, and we're going to say it after this, and after I'm locked up, and after everybody's locked up, that you can jail revolutionaries, but you can't jail a revolution. Now, speaking of J. Edgar Hoover, uh, Vanguard also describes in detail the COINTELPRO government campaign against the Panthers, and Hoover is quoted repeatedly, which, you know, in in the the few other things that do go into COINTELPRO, you never see the actual Hoover quotes, and uh, they're pretty eye-opening. Why did you think that was... Uh, you know, critical to include in your film. Well, you know, I, I you know, it, it's almost like, you know, what, what I call these urban rumors that we have, you know, where we hear, you know, oh, the FBI destroyed the Panthers, oh, the FBI, you know, was after the Panthers, but we really wanted to show, you know, that the FBI was after the Panthers. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> paranoia, you know, and the FBI, you know, which is really startling, documented, you know, uh, uh, their pursuit of the Panthers and, and their dirty tricks that they, that they played, you know, on members of the Panthers, and those things were all documented. And so, you know, it, it was great f- uh, for us to be able to use the actual documents, you know, uh, uh, issued by the FBI where they say, you know, we have to set Huey against Eldridge Cleaver and Eldridge Cleaver against Huey Newton. We've got to set spouse against spouse. You know, do anything that you can, do anything that you want, uh, Jacob Hoover told his agents. Uh, just don't let it get back that it's the FBI doing it. So, you know, he had carte blanche uh, to do anything he could to destroy the Black Panther Party. And, you know, he said that the Black Panthers were the uh, number one uh, threat to the internal security of the United States. So, you know, he made the Panthers public enemy number one and went after them with everything he had. He did. He did. And I think that quote actually is referring not to necessarily the militant aspects, but to the breakfast program. Right. He also said that that the most dangerous thing that the Panthers were doing was the breakfast for children program, because that was swaying the hearts and minds of children and also of their parents. Um, And so the most dangerous thing that the Panthers were, were doing, this is the most dangerous group in the United States. The most dangerous thing that they're doing is serving breakfast to kids. Do you feel the nation is in trouble? I think very definitely it is. 
Well, what is the answer? The answer is vigorous law enforcement. That's the only answer? That's the only answer. How about justice? You hear a lot about justice with law enforcement. Justice is merely incidental to law and order. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover today asserted that the Black Panthers represent the greatest internal threat to the nation. Hoover said the Panthers have perpetrated numerous assaults on police and have engaged in violent confrontations throughout the country. The FBI arranged for the Black Panthers to get guns through informants. They would convince the police that the Panthers had weapons. They had to go in and be ready to be shot at, so the police went in and shot at them first. Now, there's a lot of material about the Panthers' look and style, uh, which was, you know, a template for black exploitation heroes like Shaft and Superfly, as well as a huge influence on hip hop culture, which would come out a generation later. What was so powerful about the, what you refer to in the film as the urban black is beautiful aesthetic? Well, you know, we're, you're coming right out of out of the uh, civil rights movement, you know, which was, you know, 1964, you know, maybe, you know, so you're coming right out of this this, you know, movement of the of the first half of the 60s where, you know, you're having you have Martin Luther King and and Ralph Abernathy and others, you know, who are who are very church-based and they're very, wearing suits and ties and, you know, the women are are encouraged to wear dresses, you know, when they go on the freedom rides or on the marches and sometimes they even wear little white gloves and that was kind of the look. That was that was the idea but the Panthers came out they were totally different you know they were wearing black leather jackets and you know big afros and sunglasses and berets cocked to the side you know so they looked hip they looked cool it was like oh my god who are these people and so it was one of the things that 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 I think uh, you know startled startled everybody you know I mean and it looked beautiful you know I mean let's face it you know and it looked beautiful not only to black people but to white people We were a phenomenon. The way that we walked and talked and dressed, we had swag. It was a rhythm. It was a rhythm to how we spoke. It was a rhythm to how we walked. And the people recognized that we stood out Outside of that, on the street, they, ooh, that's a butt ugly person. Ooh, they ugly. But in the party, it was just something that gave them this tremendous sex appeal. The Panthers didn't invent the idea of black is beautiful. Uh, people had started wearing afros and dashikis. But one of the things that Panthers did was that urban black is beautiful. And that look just blew people away. If you were a young black man living in the city anywhere, you wanted to be like this. You wanted to dress like this. You wanted to act like this. You wanted to talk like this. You wanted to be this. Now, how did you choose the music for this film? What, what criteria did you use? Uh, okay, so so you know, th there's two kinds of music in this film. There's there's what we call movie music. You know, so something if there's a shootout, you know, we have some tension music playing, or you know, or, or they're writing letters about why they have to leave the Panthers. We might have a little sad music playing. But the other thing that that we did was we wanted to use a lot of period music, because we felt that the music of the times really reflected, uh, you know, the the Panther movement and what was going on, and it and it helps you to understand the movement. That if you know, because there were songs 
song after song about revolution. There was song after song about being black. You know, am I black enough for you? Black is, black is me, black is you. You know, there are all these songs that, that really reflected on the times. And so we wanted to kind of give it, give the whole film, the whole idea, this bed, that this is what you were hearing. You know, you turned on your radio. This is what you were hearing. And, and so this, this kind of revolution, this change was really in the air. But and, and also it's it, it's sexy, you know. It's, it's it's nice to you know be able to you know all of a sudden you know blast in some James Brown, you know, um, kind of you know lift the spirits of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you do use some James uh, for notable parts of the film, uh, but then earlier uh, you also you have a montage, this amazing montage that opens the film, um, and it's set to the shy lights on Soul Train doing a song called "For God's Sake." give the power to the people. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just a, you know, that was just a beautiful thing that happened. We were looking for that song because we knew the song existed and we wanted to use the song. And one day, uh, a researcher who, who, who was a young guy, you know, who's working with us, it was kind of his first real, you know, real job on a film. He says, Stanley, come look at this. And on his computer, he's pulled up the shy lights, you know, on Soul Train singing, for God's sakes, we got to give more power to the people. And they have these big afros and they have on orange jumpsuits, you know. <laughs> And so it was just, and they're and they're singing with raised fists, you know, clenched fists in the air, and it was just so perfect. And uh, you know, that's that's the way we start the movie. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, later in the film, uh, Gil Scott Terran's uh, "Winter in America" is used as backdrop music while the Panthers' ten-point program is read by different people. And now it's winter. You feel like. Winter in America Yeah, it's a time when all of the hillers Brothers who could help us done been killed They put them in jails Yeah, people know it's something wrong Everybody ought to know winter The Black Panther Party platform and program What we want, what we believe we want decent housing, fit for the shelter of human beings. We want education for our people. We want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. We want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice. Well, nobody knows what to say. Feel like winter in America. Why did you choose that particular song? Well, you know, this this comes at the very end of the film, and and I thought that you know, uh, you know, one, I love the song, but I too, I thought that you know, winter in America, really kind of spells out kind of uh, you know where we are today, you know. Um, you know, he says, you know, you know, all of the brothers who can help us have done been killed or been betrayed. You know, um, you know, those kind of things, you know, that 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 sentiment that, you know, we are we're we're in winter in America. You know, um, we, we went through a time, um, you know, after the Panthers, after this period of the 70s where we didn't have a lot of kind of social movement or, or, or widespread social movement or widespread social action. You know, it's people weren't talking about revolution, you know, on TV every night like the Panthers were. And, uh, you know, we just we wanted to just give that feeling. It's interesting because Gil Scott Heron was a very outspoken critic of Ronald Reagan. And then if you go back 
to the Panthers and the Sacramento rally, uh, the, Reagan emerges as one of the, the, the preeminent villains uh, in that story, so to speak. Well, in one way, he's a villain. One way, he's a hero of the story because what happens is the Panthers, you know, they, they decide that they're going to take their guns because guns were, it was legal to carry guns in, in California as long as they were out in the open, you could carry a loaded gun. And they're about to change that law, partially because of the Panthers. They're going to change that law. And the Panthers go to Sacramento and storm the state capitol. And Ronald Reagan just happens to be there. He's on the lawn. He's the governor of California at that time. He's on the lawn, you know, uh, giving a speech to some parochial school kids. And as the Panthers walk by, the press just, you know, turns their cameras and starts following the Panthers, as they would when you see, you know, 10 and 20 black men with guns, you know, storming into the state capitol. And so they follow the Panthers. And this is really what puts the Panthers on the map. You know, all of a sudden, you know, that that's nobody knew. You know, it, it's really funny because, it, you know, you hear the announcer from the news that night in the film. And he says, and this group that calls themselves the Black Panthers have invaded. You know, nobody knew about the Black Panthers. Nobody knew what the Black Panthers were, especially, you know, outside of, outside of California. But once they invade the Capitol with their guns, you know, now they're on the front page of newspapers. They're, you know, they're, they're the lead story in the news and all over the country. People are seeing, you know, for the first time, the Black Panthers and a certain number of people, young people, black people are saying, you know, as one guy says, I wanted to join whatever that was. Yeah. And you have like the letter from like, I think the 12 year old girl in there. Um, and, and, and you talk about how. Uh, the almost overnight, uh, the movement became a national one, and it's in Washington D.C., it's in North Carolina, it's in Chicago. Yeah, and and I, I, it, the Panther movement just takes off. And I think one of the things that 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 I think um, really works in the film is that you know, as, as Kathleen Cleaver says, you know, it almost takes off too fast. So in some ways, the 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 seeds of of its destruction. Are, are are part of uh, of of its uh, it, its its inception. It's catching on, as another guy says. As a, as a movement is exploding, you know, we didn't we didn't have time to check people out to do background checks. If you wanted to join the Black Panthers, come on in. And at that point, you know, um, well, you see later on, you know, that that they're infiltrated from top to bottom, you know, by FBI agents. Every city, small or large, you can think of wanted a chapter of the Black Panther Party. We would send members of the organization to help connect them to us, but it was uh, destabilizing in the sense it was somewhat chaotic, the way the party was growing. And it was too fast and too big. Speaking about the parallels between the Black Panthers and Black Lives Matter and the the relevance today of the Black Panther legacy, um, you know, Black Lives Matter has been called the new civil rights movement. Um, in your view, Stanley, how are they similar and where do they diverge? Well, I mean, I, I think I think they're similar in that, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is this kind of ground up movement that that's, you know, basically young people um, and, uh, and 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 it's kind of taken off because of uh, events in the news. And, and uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. I mean, look, we're, we're kind of at the very beginning uh, of a movement, you know, hopefully we're at the beginning of we'll, we'll see where it goes. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned 
uh, from the Panther movement uh, by the, uh, young people today, Black Lives Matter and, and other movements, because there's you know a whole bunch of other groups, splinter groups, you know, people who belong to two or three different groups. But I, I, I think there's a whole lot of lessons. You know, the Panthers were were really good at at, at, at getting media attention, and they were really good at organizing and and again, you know, getting people to join. They weren't so good at, at, at understanding that they were going to be in, infiltrated and dealing with that infiltration, and they weren't so good at at, at dealing with with the conflicts that that come up, you know, you know, when you have an organization, that conflicts will arise. But I should also say, you know, yeah, when you talk about conflicts in the Panthers, you have to understand, too, that the FBI was putting, you know, massive resources behind breaking the Panthers up. You know, so it, it, who knows if the Panthers would have, you know, had the squabbles and the problems that they had if the FBI hadn't been, you know, pouring resources into creating these squabbles and, and, and heightening any kind of squabble that existed. Yeah, you actually make a really strong case for that in the film. Uh, there's also an interesting quote by Bobby Seale where he refutes the idea that the Panthers are anti-white. Now, what's interesting about that is that the same charge has been made against Black Lives Matter. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, I think it's ridiculous. You know, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, if, 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 if you say you know, black people are great. That doesn't mean white people are bad. You know, it has nothing to do with that. You know, to say black lives matter has nothing to has, says nothing about, you know, white lives don't matter. It says that, you know, black people are being, you know, uh, slaughtered disproportionately by police forces all across the country. Black people are being locked up disproportionately by police uh, all across the country. So, you know, you, you need a black lives matter movement. I don't think you need a white lives matter. Examiner made a report back here, the last Sunday's paper, that we were anti-white, that we hold no bones, this is a quote, hold no, pick no bones about being anti-white. We, this is a bold-faced lie. We don't hate nobody because of their color. We hate oppression. We hate murder of black people in our communities. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about that quote uh, from Bobby, though, is that you could almost like juxtapose his exact words onto any statement by any Black Lives Matter organizer, and it would just fit like a glove. Yeah, I mean, Bobby's statement is 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 incredible. You know, it's from back then. You know, and he says, uh, you know, we don't hate nobody because of their color. We hate oppression. We hate murder of black people. That's what we hate. That's what Bobby says. You know, back in like 1967, 68, and it's still still true today. Absolutely. Now, since the film came out, you've been doing screenings and Q and A's all over the country. Has has there been a lot of engagement with young people around that? Yeah, there's been an incredible amount. One of the things that that we've done is, is you know, we try to. Uh, I try to go to as many screenings as I possibly can. I, I can't even tell you how many I've been to. If I told you my schedule, would be, you'd think I was nuts. Uh, Lorenz Grant, the other producer of the film, goes. The associate producer goes. We all go to different screenings. And we've tried, to, whenever we can, to, to, to pair uh, former Black Panthers with, with young uh, people involved in the movement today, be it Black Lives Matter, Million Hoodies, there's a bunch of other groups that we work with, and we try to get them involved with the screenings. And, and, we've, and we've had a lot of young people who come to the screenings. So, you know, the audiences have tend to be kind of mixed between, you know, you know uh, black folks who were around back in, in the day, 
a lot of white folks who were around back in the day and a lot of young black and white folks, you know, who were involved in the movement or just interested in, in the Panthers um, or interested in the story. Because, you know, one of the things that I think that that happens is people tell each other about the film, because I think, you know, we can all we can talk about the content, content, content. But I think the bottom line is it's kind of an entertaining film. You know, It's very entertaining. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely theatrical aspects to it. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's history. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, and I mean, history is, 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 is so important. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, how to how do we, you know, as, as I say, you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. You know, and I think that if you, my theory has always been if you can make history relevant and if you can make history moving, to us, you know, if, if I shed a tear, you know, in a historical movie, then it's kind of like, you know, you've caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a great film. And I think it's also a film that the way that you made it, it, it does sort of bring up the the relevant aspects to what's going on today. Whereas when you look at Eyes on the Prize and some of these other things, uh, it's a kind of a sense that, OK, this happened in the past and it's over. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. You know, we're not, I'm not interested in spending seven years of my life making something that is like, you know, like what I call history in a bubble. You know, and you say, oh, that was good. You know, let's go eat a hamburger now. You know, I, I'm not interested in that. You know, we just got a, we just got a text from a guy who saw the film in New York and, and t- talked about how he, he, he sat there and talked to the people who were behind him you know, you know, in the film for 20 minutes after the film was over. And he said there was another group across the theater who were just sitting there talking about the film. And then he, when the guy stood up, he realized, because he's six foot seven, that it was Mayor de Blasio, uh, you know, who, who, who was sitting there talking about the film. Guess he had some questions about it. Now, speaking of questions, what's the most interesting question that you were asked at a screening, and how did you answer it? Oh, I can't answer that question. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, my head is spinning from from doing these these screenings. I mean, I've done I've I've done so many. You know, I mean, I think I think it's it, it's you know all all of the question and answer is great. I mean, for me as a filmmaker, the very best part of making a film is to show the film and see the film with an audience and talk back and forth with the audience about you know what they saw, what they got out of it. You know, I, the only thing I can say is sometimes I wish I would get more questions about the filmmaking. You know, and and less about the content. I wish I would get more questions about like, oh, you know, why did you start the film with animation or the shy lights or or whatever. You know, I I wish I would get more more like that, more of those. But I think that part of what we're trying to do also is not call attention to the filmmaking. You know, we're trying to make a film. We're not. I'm not there to to impress you with with how great a filmmaker I am. I'm there to impress you in, with how great a story this is and hopefully you get engrossed in the story and not in Stanley Nelson as a filmmaker. Well, I mean, I, I asked you about the Shy Lights. Well, yes, you did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have to say, you know, I mean, it, it, it is a very well done documentary, but we also do tend to take documentaries for granted. I mean, all the hard work that, that goes into it, um, it's it just sort of like, you know, food for thought and if it's well done we don't think about it well yeah i I, th- I think that's that's the way we take all movies and I'm, I'm glad the documentary is part of that you know when we go to see mission impossible we don't think about you know all the work that went into to making you know that that shot work but I, hopefully you know i guess in some ways it's good that people don't don't do that with documentaries 
you know, I mean, if, if I'm seeing Mission Impossible, I'm, I'm thinking how much CGI are they using? I mean, you know, and you're not using any CGI. You, you're you using the Shylocks yeah. and James Brown and Gil Scott Heron. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and witnesses, and we have great we have great witnesses. That's one of the things I think that makes the film work, I should say, that you know the film is made without narration. There's no narration. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was to interview what was called the rank and file. You know, those members of the party, you know, who you never hear about, you know, who weren't famous, you know, who joined the party, you know, and why did they join, who worked for the party, what did they do, and who left the party, you know, why did they leave, you know, those those, those people. So, you know, there's probably 25, 30 people in the film that, that you never heard of uh, before, and, and maybe nobody really asked them their story before. And those and those are some great stories too. I mean, Jamal Joseph he really uh, breaks it down, goes into it, and you know, speaking about the filmmaking and how you approach that. I mean, you have a really good mix of sort of contemporary accounts and historical accounts, and really mixing the archival stuff with where are they now? What are they talking about now? Yeah, I mean that that's one of the things we want to do. I mean, you know, look when you when you're making a film like this, we're trying to give it a certain rhythm, you know, uh, and and you know you're trying to, uh, you know, uh, if it starts getting too slow, you know, then you stick in some James Brown, you know, <laughs> you know, or you know, are 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 you you know stick in uh, some 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 great footage, you know, you can always cut to Jake or Hoover. He's always good for a laugh. Yeah, isn't he though? But I I think it really flows, and especially like the first twenty minutes is so enthralling um and there's you know because i was going over the material earlier and looking at um we may be taking a sound bite out and i was like well i can't even take anything out from here i we just have to play the whole thing yeah i mean you know we really wanted the first you know few minutes of the film to kind of pin you back in your seats you know we really wanted it to start in a different way so we actually start with you know animation as erica huggins talks about the the story of the blind man and the elephant, you know, with animation, we wanted you to kind of think, oh, wait, wait did I come in the right theater? You know, I thought I was going to see a film about the Black Panthers and and uh, and then to knock you back with, with the shy lights and, and, and really, you know, give you uh, an experience, you know, um, and it not be, you know, uh, just a film of information. You know, it, it's not, it's not, you know, this is not medicine we're trying to feed people. This is not, you know, some history lesson we're trying to give people. This is, I think, an exciting story with exciting characters um and it's 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 a very dramatic and, and tension-filled story yeah one thing i really liked was uh you have a montage of sort of like all the white news reporters uh saying black panther right <laughs> um and you know some of them are very sort of super proper like you have william f buckley in there and all <laughs> right. people like black panther <laughs> right. you know and it's right, just right. kind of like it, it just really makes a point without overstating it well we hear a great deal about the Black Panthers. Black Panther. Black Panthers. Black Panthers. The Black Panthers were absolutely unique. Black Panthers. Black Panthers. Black Panther Party. Black Panther Movement. Black Panther Party. Black Panthers. I think the Black Panthers really understood the media. They knew what we were after. They they knew what we were focusing on. The Panthers has amounted to... The Black Panther Party. Many people know of the Panthers. You might say that... Uh, we exploited the Black Panthers, but I think there's a lot of evidence that they they used us to their advantage. They were able to establish their legitimacy as a voice of protest. The chairman of the Black Panther Party, and here he is. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really wanted, that was one of the kind of set pieces, what I call set pieces. You know, it's kind of an idea. You know, you think to yourself, what if, what if we have, we just cut together all these different newscasters saying Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther. Because, you know, we really wanted to give a feeling that, you know, that that's how it was. I mean, they just loved the Black Panthers and they wanted, and every night, you know, on the news, they were talking about the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers were not this kind of underground thing that nobody knew about. The Panthers were media darlings and people loved the Panthers. Well, Stanley, it's been really interesting talking with you here. Uh, once again, I'm Eric Arnold from Oak Culture. This is Making Contact for a National Radio Project, and Stanley's film is called The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. I think for more information about where the film is playing, if you just go to theblackpanthers.com, theblackpanthers.com, that's the website. You can uh, see the trailer, but you can also find out where the film is playing and uh, who the guests are and all those kind of good things. And I guess people should also look out for your next project, which is going to be a PBS documentary on historic black colleges. Yeah, yeah, we were working on a film on historic black colleges and universities and how they changed America. And uh, actually, we're just starting to shoot that thing right now. Well, thanks so much, Stanley, for all that you do. Uh, thank you. It's so great to be here. Great to see you.